0: Data Storytellers. Today on the show, I have with me Renier Olivier. Uh Renier, first of all, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. And second of all, welcome welcome on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Now I can see you know how to roll your Rs. So that's that's perfect. Yes, Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm from the old country, uh, from Hungary. So uh, I can I can roll my Rs. Yes. And uh, so today we're going to have a nice casual chat about uh, some of the uh, topics around data-driven transformation. And uh, Rene, you are the head of data at Pernary Car, uh, responsible for the Africa region. So first of all, can you just give me a short introduction into what brought you to the world of data? How did you get into all this?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it's more of a... a i wasn't brought in it i was uh, thrust into it out of necessity as i think most uh, multinational corporates nowadays uh, are forced to to change their way of thinking and their ways of doing to stay relevant i mean if you with with no disrespect but if you look at companies like blackberry and nokia if uh, perhaps their view of business transformation and and data led decision making was was uh taken into account more perhaps we would we would all be walking around with blackberry still and and using their chat um, so I think it's it's a necessity in 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 most multinational corporates, and in my instance um coming from a sales and marketing background, it was just a natural fit to try and be the link between uh, the sort of data scientist world in that scary dark place where you you like to think of it like a hundred people sitting in a cave and working in front of computers, compared to everyone else in different functions across the business, the marketing teams, the sales force in trade, and and try and be that link to to solve the problems uh, from from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. So how do you see
0: this? Because um, you got into data driven transformation uh, roughly when how many how many years ago?
1: Uh, so it's
0: been almost a year now, yeah. Okay, so almost a year. So uh, having kind of almost like an outside uh, perspe- uh, perspective, uh, what do you see as the key challenges in the industry today? Uh, before we kind of touched on um, in our previous conversation, before we uh, uh, started recording the podcast, you uh, mentioned this disconnect between the data science uh, experts and the business. So uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? How do you perceive this and what do you see as the greatest challenges?
1: Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's twofold. So uh, from one point, I think there's uh, the strategic challenges. So if uh, you've got a a certain way of doing things, especially older multinationals where you used to... Uh, a traditional business model you know we make products, uh, we find routes to market and we find marketplaces and we sell it to consumers um, it's quite difficult to completely change your mindset and the the pace that technology has changed the way of doing business in the world over the last twenty years um, I think in terms of a strategic perspective, it's sometimes challenging for uh, for certain organizations to to come from the top down with a comprehensive business transformation plan, guys, this is the future. These are the key topics we 're going to focus on, and these are the tools that we 're going to give you to to solve them and then uh, in terms of a more like a tactical and operational level, I think it is also challenging for for people to migrate the their daily tasks and ways of doing if you 've been Capturing payments the same way for twenty years, and now you suddenly, you know, it's a different way. It's a more efficient way, but it's something new to learn, uh, and it it sort of gives business disruption for a short period, but frees up so much time in the in the longer run. So to get people on board, to get buy in, to get them excited about data is not always the easiest thing in the world.
0: Hmm. So you mentioned that you have a background in sales and marketing. So um, back at ABMBAV, you work with sponsorships and brand management, right? So how is your life different now on a professional level? Now that you work in data, how would you how how would you describe the key differences?
1: Hmm. It's interesting. So I think for, uh, firstly uh, you become a support function. So if uh, if you're a brand custodian or if you're in a region in sales, uh, it's quite a different story because you lean on all the tools that come from head office. So in that instance, uh, I become the the person that's responsible to create the tools that's going to make your lives easier. Um, so in in the end of the day, you almost become a developer where you used to be a user. Um, and, yeah, there's there's different challenges to that uh, for, you know, when, when you on the user side. Uh, I, I'll never forget, you know, sometimes if a system or a process doesn't work, you always like almost swore at the clouds and you were like, oh, that guy, you know, if I can find him. And now, now it's the other way around. So I think the biggest link or the biggest uh, priority that you as a developer need to take into account is you're not the user. Uh, I can build the bo- most beautiful uh, data visualization tools and I can look at it and be proud of myself and 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 high five myself. But if it's not practically, uh, you know, if it, if it's going to take too much time to access and negotiate, that's that's already a big constraint for users. And also, if um, if it doesn't add intrinsic value in terms of a user's day to day, then your uh, your buy in and your uh, your rate of adoption is always going to going to be a, a losing battle.
0: So ironically, because a lot of people think about data and analytics as a very tech-focused enterprise uh, or endeavor, and ironically, this is what we keep hearing, and it's uh, quite interesting that you have a background in sales and marketing, is that actually those skills and those mindset uh, mindsets and those kind of postures that you need to take in order to be successful in data are closely connected to the elements of persuasion and influence and psychology. So almost like you need to use this strategic and tactical empathy and you build these tools. So um, how do you see actually at a big organization now, um, uh, this this element of influence, Uh, what have you perceived as the keys to be successful at actually engaging the organization, actually getting through to people, uh, really sparking their imagination and getting them excited about data? You mentioned this as kind of a bottleneck, but what have you seen or perceived as the keys for success in this area?
1: Okay. (laughs) Uh, I think fir- first off, I think I would be remiss to to consider myself uh, fully successful in in in, in this world yet. Uh, yet, you know, I think there's there's obviously a lot of challenges I'm still facing and learning. But if I had to I had to give a couple of um, of key learnings in in my journey so far, it would be um, you know there's a there's a term called uh, user adoption testing, and it's interesting when you know this. It's such a big beast the the whole process of developing tools fitting it into a marketplace um you've got a you're working with a development team in Brazil and your centre of excellence that manages the data governance sits in Paris and then you've got your marketplace you know in south africa where where we all speak different languages literally <laughs> and and figuratively um so I think uh, for me, one of the most important things before even attempting to take on a, a data let or a, a data project is to almost do the UATs up front. So instead of sitting in a room and, and putting together three projects, oh, we're going to make this process seamless or automate this uh, this process, speak to the users first and find out what are their pain points and also find out, what would be viable solutions for them in their day to day you could potentially solve a pain point but by over engineering and you know being uh, comprehensive in your solve you're actually flooding people with too much information you know somebody could could have asked you listen i would have i would like to see how much whiskey is being sold in south africa and you go and you speak to every single customer in the country it takes you 5 years to develop you put together at an outlet level on a daily level an update that gets sent to you and a link on your email. And actually the only thing that that person wanted to know was how many cases are sold a year, which could have been a one-day exercise. Um and you could have then yeah fulfilled the need better. So I think that's that's a major learning from from my perspective. Um, and I think, yeah, if I had to give a second one, it's also uh over communication. Because in a in a big organization, you have people working in local capacities, we call them affiliates, and you've got people working in a in a global context. So let's say working from head office, head offices perspective. And then you've got suppliers that you pay a certain amount of money to roll out certain projects. Um, It happens almost daily where you realize that somebody in another department has either already found a solve for your problem or is currently planning or in development or have brie- has briefed in an uh, 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 agency to solve that problem. Um, or it could be a case of affiliate to affiliate. We've got a problem in South Africa in terms of data quality, but somebody in Brazil with a similar marketplace has already solved that problem. We just haven't talked to each other and realized that that, that solve exists. So, it's over communication in your immediate sphere so your team so everyone knows what you're working on it's over communication in your department it's over communication to your affiliate your marketplace and it's over communication to all your global counterparts and um and stakeholders hmm. So
0: there are a few things that I would like to uh, explore here because um, you've on some very important notes there. Even your uh, posture of humility in this is that, oh, look, I don't, cons- don't consider myself an expert. Well, uh, this is actually what we've been seeing is that there's no established best practice in this. This is kind of like a new area. Everything is changing at an accelerating pace as well. Uh, do you see yourself as a as a key agent of change in the business as a data leader?
1: Um, if I had to define it, I would, I would define myself as a facilitator of change. Um, I wouldn't say, uh, yeah, like if if you're going to bring real change to a business, it needs to be driven. It needs to be almost, I always make the analogy and, and some people like it, some people don't, but I, I always say like, you almost need to write it on the walls. You know, it's the first thing you need to think about when you walk in, you need to have clear, deliberate goalposts. That everyone in the business is aligned to in terms of resourcing, in terms of um, uh, compensation, you know, incentives, and um, and everyone needs to run towards the same goal. So I think I would be uh, wrong if I said that that I'm the the source of the change. Um, i think maybe you know in a couple of years times uh, if if i manage to progress in in my career and i could be a chief transformation officer or have a global position i could become that advocate for for rolling out global projects with that 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 adds real value to to affiliates but for now i think uh, my role is to to understand the pain points in in, in an immediate environment and then whatever The business comes back from a strategic point of view on how to solve them. I am the link in trying to uh, basically on the hands to do the work that that the strategic or uh, level either head office or uh, CEOs in our marketplace have identified as as potential areas of change.
0: Hmm. So. It's interesting because you mentioned before as well that you're a support function. And even when it comes to driving change, it's almost like you're a facilitator of that. And uh it's actually quite difficult to figure out what kind of position should you assume as a data leader in order to reach your goals. Even just conceptualizing your goals can be a challenge uh, sometimes when you work with so- something like data. Uh One of our... uh One of our key contributors, Pete Williams, who's the director of data and online at Penguin Random House, the publishing house, he has a really good concept of the data consigliere, you know, from the Godfather. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. as a, as, as a data leader, that's what you want to be. You want to be a trusted advisor who people actually listen to. And then you can influence change. So what do you think are the key qualities? of the successful data transformation leader or the data transformation facilitator you already uh, mentioned something along the lines of for example humility so if you want to actually succeed in in these endeavors you need to assume a position of humility but what have you observed as uh, the key qualities of those people who actually succeed in driving data driven transformations mm.
1: so i think i think there's two uh, personas that that i've perceived um so far and the the one is uh you know somebody with a with a strong data background so that knows the ins and outs i mean somebody that came through as a data analyst became a uh, data scientist you know knows they can you know they program uh poker games in their spare time you know um but then also at the same time they have a, a amazing uh talent to work with people so you need to understand the the technicalities or the back end of the projects that you're working on but at the same time you need to be able to package that in a way that makes sense to people and also be so approachable that you know people are willing to come to you with problems and they're not going to feel stupid to come to you and say listen i've got this problem do you maybe have 5 minutes to chat and 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 see if there's a solution so i think in in my in my one instance i think it's somebody that that can manage multiple stakeholders at a time, and that's internal, external, global, local, different languages and cultures, um, but also have the intellect and the, the talent to understand the technicalities around each project. And then I would say a second persona is somebody that doesn't necessarily have, you know, decades of, of experience in the back end of data but have uh, extensive experience in terms of um, working in different business functions, so again to my concept of I think what both have in common is the fact that both of them need to manage multiple stakeholders and different personas and people from different types of expertise. but it really helps a conversation along if you're working on a marketing project, let's say a marketing efficiency project, and somebody gives you a data dump of every element that's gone to trade, uh, the above-the-line media conventions. And just on face value, you can understand and make sense of that data because you have a marketing background and you've bought media in your past. Sales background, if you're doing customer hierarchy breakdowns and you're trying to make sense of your route to market, if you have a sales background and somebody talks to you about a bar, nightclub, restaurant, you already have an indication of what type of consumer frequency they what time, type of occasion they have? Do they focus on food, uh, high energy occasions, sport? Um, like in that instance, you know, being a, a subject matter expert in in various different functions, it makes your life a lot easier when tackling projects. Uh, and you know, just having a conversation because a sales guy, I can promise you for free, being a sales guy myself in the past, we you kind of laugh, you know, not laugh, but I mean, you make jokes like, oh, this data, oak, you know, is trying to now put in extra work for us on the on the cell phone app so we can capture data, um, but when you start to understand their day to day and you know you understand that they get calls from customers at twelve o'clock at night and sorry I'm digressing it happens then um, effectively you you can relate to them more and you can you can understand you can have empathy and understand where they're coming from so I think those are those are the two uh, personas that I've perceived to date that that make for good data uh, data profiles.
0: Hmm. I can 100% relate to the to the sales experience and you know working as a salesperson because uh also me and uh, my business partner Paul we've been brought up in sales, right? That that's our background actually. The whole idea of the data storytellers came from working with senior data practitioners and just kind of realizing some of those skills that we almost accidentally hone over the years how those are critically needed for these more technologically focused functions where you tend to think a little bit more on the on the cold cognition side of things. Even if you look at our logo as the two sides of the brain, the, the creative inspirational brain and then the more statistical number oriented brain, the hot cognition with the creative inspiration, the cold cognition with you know backing up with evidence and logic. Both are critical during decision-making. That's what you want to do, right? You want to influence decision-making in the company, both on a strategic level, but even if you are just focusing on building a solution for someone, you want to influence their decisions of choosing to behave in a certain way, changing their beliefs and behaviors, which is the essence of any any culture. I think that's the definition of culture. It's a set of beliefs and behaviors. So just a question. Um, I don't think we uh, talked about that before, but do you have any thoughts on uh, some of those implementable skills from sales and marketing and branding that you think would be useful for uh, data practitioners to you know, consider and learn and hone as skills?
1: Mm, definitely, I've, I've actually got quite a strong opinion on that, and I'm, I'm happy that I'm talking to a fellow uh a salesperson. We always we always joked and said it was like being in the army. You know, you're there in the trenches on the front line. You get you get all of the all of the crap and none of the glory. Um, but I, I honestly say to anyone, even interns that I've had in a data space, if you want to if you want to lay a foundation. That nobody can ever take away from you in your career, start on the front line, start in sales. The reason is you get to learn in one function, you get to learn a large portion of every function uh I'll give you, and would you mind me um sort of double clicking into that sales space or? Absolutely, if you want to double back on data. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Absolutely. Okay. Actually, this really hits the spot. Uh, even that you mentioned the army, because uh, I spent years in the army. Paul is, is the same, right? And we use the same analogy, like being in the trenches, and and that experience that we gained, just really interacting with the customers, like really being where the rubber uh, meets the road. And you know, you can use all those kind of kinds of analogies. It's uh, very, very powerful. So, absolutely, let's double click and zoom in because I think we can get a lot of lot of good stuff out of this.
1: Hmm. So yeah, and in, in a in a sales environment, so let's work on a on a a, a big business example. Um, you would need to know to you would learn customer relationships, which is uh, <laughs> a critical part of any corporate gig because it's not just customer relationships; it's internal relationships as well. You learn uh, how to uh, you, you learn the, the finance function in its entirety because. If a customer's order is blocked because they didn't pay the account, you would need to understand how to explain that to the customer. And you learn the credit terms. You, um, in operations perspective, you uh, start to understand how distribution works, how it goes from one depot to another. When it's out of stock, why is it out of stock? Because you need to explain that to the customer as well. Um, in terms of marketing, when a campaign gets rolled out, traditionally the marketers come to the regions and explain to the sales team, listen, we're marketing this brand for this consumer for this occasion. So, um, and we're giving you these tools to to market the brand. So it's almost like you become immersed in the brands that you are selling. So you get that perception of marketing. Uh, a, a function for me that's kind of underrated, or not kind of very underrated, is trade marketing. Because if it if it isn't for trade marketers, all of these beautiful and amazing creative campaigns that come from marketing won't reach the consumer then you you have the the sort of above the line perspective um because you hear the ads on radio and you you understand what it's about so sales for me is like the one of the best places to start you get you get all of it and and it's a it's a it's a it's a sad story, but if you really think about it in a corporate environment, if you don't start at the ground level in sales, you can never really go back you miss that function for the rest of your life because you can become a mid-level manager in data and then you can't go and manage a region or be a country manager if you don't understand distribution, uh, cogs, like uh, finance, What, uh, how much money are you making per, per product, how are you getting it to the consumer, what are you using to create push and pull. So, yeah, I, I would say that's that's definitely a, a very strong place to start.
0: Hmm. So th- that's really cool because now we're looking at, okay, for a, for a data practitioner, uh, how useful it is to gain experience in that field, which is more like customer facing. Now, if you think about the skills, though, that you acquire working in sales, uh, because I work with a lot of good salespeople, a lot of talented salespeople, and also salespeople who might have not been that talented uh, to begin with or were not as skilled. To be honest with you, when I started off in sales, out awful, like really, really bad. It actually like really hurt my ego too, because I thought I'm good with people. I can communicate well and all that. And then first eight weeks of my sales career, I didn't even close a deal. I was struggling hard, you know, and I really had to humble myself and actually acquire skills. And then those skills uh, that really turn into a, an ability to authentically communicate with people like this authentic listening. It's not, it's not at all being facetious or trying to uh, no, present yourself as someone who you're not. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Good, successful salespeople are very, very authentic. They can actually listen, mm-hmm. not just so that the customer feels listened to, but actually can focus on and and, and create a unique connection. Now, this mm-hmm. unique connection, it always comes up in data. Uh, one of the key challenges is that ah, we don't feel connected to the business. We don't have an authentic connection to the business. So Maybe I know that we didn't speak about this, but uh, would you be able to think of some of those skills that you acquired? Some of those maybe dispositions and postures that you assumed as a salesperson, as a marketing person, that now you can successfully bring into the world of data to evangelize analytics in the business?
1: Mm, no, definitely. Um, I think one, one aspect, and it was something we actually recently discussed, is, is putting yourself into the, the mindset of a customer. You know, companies or especially multinational corporates, it's you. You always get these terms thrown around like work hard, play hard, customer is king, and you know it, it almost goes down the wayside. But effectively, if you look at any business that's ever been successful, that was the core value that they that they've maintained. So I think that in that aspect, you know, from a sales environment, I was. I just wanted to ask you first, what what did you try and sell?
0: So I was actually in conference sales. Right, so the when I moved to London, I knew no one. I had like a thousand bucks in my pocket, and I was like, "What what kind of job am I going to start?" Because I was waiting at the time, actually, uh, probably for a few weeks, and then I was new to London, so I didn't know, uh, you know, what it even takes. Because I was in the army before, so I did I didn't know the business world. So I just sent out probably like a hundred job applications. Didn't even look at the the job description. Just business development, sales. And, uh, well, the phone started ringing Monday morning and I did this in on, on a Sunday and you know, this is how it is in sales because salespeople, when a company finds a good salesperson, that's the best investment that they can make. And if they don't work out, it's a low risk investment. And I just basically... Uh, got probably three uh, job offers by by the Wednesday, <laughs> and I just chose one, and it was actually a great choice. So it was a, a good friend of mine who started a company at the time, uh, who wasn't a friend of mine at the time, but then we became business partners and 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 good friends. Um, he was a he was the best. A conference salesperson at his previous company, and he just decided to to launch a startup and uh, that's actually how the whole journey uh started when we created eventually data leaders that we sold in 2020 but that's how I got into sales. It was just basically an opportunity and an ease of access really, but it was probably the best choice i I made uh because of the skills because of the skills and the experience that I gained working with customers
1: mm. okay well just a a tip there for the future if you ever um, uh figure out time travel. Just starting alcohol sales—it's the easiest job in the world because everyone (laughs) (laughs) everyone wants to have what you're selling. So (laughs) So that's Um, how you started. Yes. Yeah. So I I think in that instance of taking the 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 analogy of the the bonds that you foster with customers and taking it into the data space and into the corporate world, um, I mean, to your point, like it's it's such an authentic thing. Like it's not. You're just their friend because they're your customer. The amount of customers of mine in my past that I've been to their weddings and they've been to mine, and you actually become, to your point, lifelong friends, is is remarkable. So I think if if you want to draw or create a uh, a parallel to the way that data is supposed to empower business transformation today, like that's the if you have that background, it just enables you to unconsciously. Put on different hats in your in your daily life, and it's not it's not being fake or it's being not yourself. It's just the fact that you can understand that a finance person fundamentally perceives the world differently to a salesperson, and a and a marketing person fundamentally perceives the world differently to a operations person. So, when you have that lens and you can put them put yourself in their shoes. And have an authentic conversation and understand, listen, I'm requiring this data from you. I know that month end is crazy for you because that's when you do your uh, audits or whatever. So, you know what? Let's do it on Monday. I think that's better. Who wants to work on a Friday anyway? So, I think, yeah, being being authentic is – that's not just in the business or in data or in – it's in every aspect of your life. Always be authentic. Otherwise, you're not uh, – people, people aren't going to like you and you're also not going to like yourself. But um, apart from that, yeah, it just helps you to be authentically, uh, seamlessly transferred to to different conversations in in the business sphere other than just, hello, I'm Renir, I'm trying to sell you this data project, and I actually don't care what you do for a living. You know, that type of conversation.
0: Absolutely. No, this is a really uh, exciting topic. Uh, to explore. Unfortunately, because of the time constraints for this uh, particular interview, we won't be able to get too dim- deep into it. Uh, but maybe later on, we can uh, work with you on a data story when we can explore multiple elements of this. Because I can tell you for a fact that this is what we keep hearing from the leading data practitioners, that the differentiator between those people who will be able to really make it in this decade of data that's upon us, uh, it's are really the soft skills. Really the soft skills. And that's what's really needed and missing with data scientists, or even senior executives, right? Because if you you work in data, it almost like you need to think with your technology and logic and number brain, and you almost lose sight of the of the relationships, you almost almost lose sight of, of focusing on fostering these meaningful relationships and actually becoming a trusted advisor. So the more we can shine a light on that, um, I think the more change we can uh, bring to these organizations. So maybe you and I can explore this at a uh, at a later interview, or maybe working with you on a data story. So just kind of circling back to data, because unfortunately, we will need to uh, wrap up in a few minutes. But what are you most excited about now, when you look at the, the field of data, being at a large company like Pernod Ricard, working with these solutions, uh, and again, now it's the 2020s. So uh, data-driven change, it's becoming more and more of a buzzword. So what are you most excited about in the field?
1: Oh, I love that question. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it speaks so much to uh, to our vision for like a three- and five-year plan for, for Pernod Ricard as a company and as an affiliate in South Africa and Africa. Um, I'm the most excited about getting closer to the consumer uh, in, in all facets of, of what that entails. So uh, from a marketing uh, perspective, to be more efficient in the way that we spend our money to reach the target audience. So instead of talking to somebody that actually doesn't care about Jamison, to reaching somebody that loves Jameson and, and would want to keep hearing about what, what's happening in the in the Jamison world. Um in terms of uh you know putting our prices at the right level where consumers can resonate to it. Um getting uh obviously via uh legal and ethical means, uh data that consumers I don't know, have you heard about zero part zero party data as mm-hmm. yet?
0: Uh, I've heard of it, but if you can elaborate a little bit on that, I think that would be I- useful.
1: So, so that's also something I, I I stumbled across recently, and like it's it's actually insane to think. And I I was on a panel a month ago, and we were discussing the um, legality and and ethical use of consumer data, and and everyone sort of came with a lens of um, this is what we need to do to ensure that data doesn't get stolen or whatever. Almost like a like a gate. Where I came in and said, listen, but we must realize that there's a whole generation of people coming through the system that want to give their data, that want to be on TikTok. If they could strap 180 GoPros to their body every day of every second of their life, they would. So um, for me, it's what excites me is to, to take a traditional business model. We have brands that the world loves and enjoys, and we sell it in a market, to creating Opportunities to engage with consumers via it it can be via uh, own channels or third-party channels or in trade, and creating like as many as possible really really cool experiences with our brands with our consumers and using data to be the enabler of that to understand where our consumers are what do they like uh, and it's not to It's not in terms of a selfish way to obviously want to make, generate revenue, but like really build meaningful relationships with your consumers. And these consumers opting in and saying, listen, I love Jamison so much. Whenever you have a party, whenever you have a promotion, whenever you do something cool with a local DJ, I want to know about it and I want to be involved with it. And I want to actually take it a step further and be an ambassador for your brand with my friends and in my circles so to be honest like that it's it's a it's a bit of a short long answer but mm. that is the thing that excites me the most
0: mm. it's funny uh i'm not just saying it for the sake of this interview but jameson happens to be my favorite whiskey <laughs> actually ah. so yeah yeah um just, so, just send me your address <laughs> yes exactly i i i was just fishing for some for some free samples <laughs> <laughs> So, no, absolutely. And uh, this does sound very exciting. And I look forward to seeing uh, how you guys managed to bring this vision uh, to reality. And uh, this was a really good interview. Thank you, Renier. Unfortunately, we have to uh, wrap up now. Uh, but we wish you the best in the future. And we look forward to having you on the show or maybe in a different quality at the Data Storytellers uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, and share the link with me so I can uh, make you guys famous on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> absolutely. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Cheers.